Hey, let's look at the Word of God. Are you, are you good today? Let's look at the Word of God and see in the Word of God ourselves and see what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to walk out the truth of God. Let's look at that. Uh, we found that in the book of Romans that Paul was writing to Christians in a pagan society and wanted them, wanted them to know how they were to grow or to grow properly. And uh, that is something that is needed for us today. We need to understand how to grow properly uh, in the Lord and what our responsibilities are, how we are to conduct our lives and not be swayed by uh, the world system. You know, we talk a lot about that because that is a huge problem. It's a huge problem for believers. There are believers who are conflicted, and we want to bring you out of that conflict. I'm going to look at Romans chapter 6. This is part 4 in uh, Romans chapter 6. So I will start in verse 10. <clears throat> uh, a little bit of uh, repetition here. Uh, let's start in verse 10. So Paul is talking about death. We're, we're dead to sin but alive to God, and that's what he wants us to understand. And that's what Romans 6 is telling us, that we are dead to sin, and we are alive to God. It's a very, very big idea, concept. You've got to really get those things. It doesn't mean that you have to strive, strive, stay up, burn the midnight oil. You just have to be willing and obedient. And God, the, the Holy Spirit, will teach you. He will, he will show you. So let's look at verse 10. For the death that he died, speaking of Jesus, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So th this is so, so beautiful. So J Jesus died, as it were, to the sphere of sin, the realm, sin realm. He died to it. And so what he lives is, he lives at this juncture as the first fruit of a new mankind. He lives a totally different existence. So everything is Godward. It's not, as it were, in regard to sin. He has already paid the sin debt. So now he lives to God. In Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 24, we find that the Scripture reads, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, uh, speaking of Jesus, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. It was not possible. So Jesus broke sin's hold on mankind. Okay, he broke sin, sin's hold. So you, now keep looking at that because this is important for us. The world will tell you that you can't help. And some Christians will say, well, you just can't help but do wrong every day. I've heard people say that. You sin every day. I think they were looking in a mirror when they said that. So, the life that he lives, he lives to God. I want you to hold on to that. And now, let, let's look at John 10, 17 through 18 and 18. Uh, the scripture reads, therefore, Jesus says, my father loves me. Jesus says that. Because I lay down my life that I may take it again. So, Jesus was a willing sacrifice to help us, to rescue us from what we were held by. We were held by sin and death, and Jesus broke that. So, Jesus says very powerfully, no one takes it, my life, from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Now, let's 
go back. That was a, what we call, that was a parenthetical statement I made to explain verse 10. Verse 10 says, for the death he died, Jesus, he died to sin once. It just took one. His death was so effective. But he also did it once for all, everybody, everybody. And he says, but the life that he lives, that is presently, his present life on the throne of God, he lives to God. And then verse 11 says, likewise, you also. So, likewise, you also. So, you and I must make a decision that we are going to live every day to God, not for me, not for myself, but I'm going to live for God. And when I live for myself, I benefit no one, not even myself. But when I live for God, I benefit myself and everyone. Yes, That's what we must understand. So he says, likewise, you also. So what he's mean, he means here by likewise is in the same manner as or in this manner, you also live like Jesus. So, Jesus is our pattern. Remember, we have taught you that Jesus is the pattern son. He is the son that we all pattern after, all right? Are we good with that? Yes. <clears throat> so, in the same manner as Jesus, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin. You are dead to sin. You are dead to sin because Jesus died to sin. I told you I've had, I had problems in my early days, younger days, you know, wanting to talk to Paul and tell him, you know, hey, man, you got to get this right. <laughs> I, I do that talk when I'm reading, at least I used to a lot. And so, but Jesus, having died to sin, if Jesus did not die to sin, you and I could not die to sin. So, it was in the wisdom of God that Jesus died to sin. He died from the realm of sin, from the sin sphere, or where sin ruled. He died to that. So, then he died to that so that you and I now uh, are dead to that. But you have to know that, and you have to reckon it. You have to, for example, if you want to write a check, you have to have some money in the bank. And so, Jesus has put the money in the bank for you. He has put the reality in the bank for you. He's put the life in the bank. He's put can do in the bank for you. So, you just draw out on can do. Yeah, and on that amazing reality. It's an other world reality that we are called on to live right now in this present evil world. Uh, that's big. That's big. And so, let's look at um, Hebrews 9, 12. If you'll turn to Hebrews 9 and 12 for our Thank you so much. He says, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all. Now, notice this. Is, this is big. I like that once for all talk. I grew up hearing language like that. People I grew up under, my parents and my relatives and people in the community, they used Bible talk. It was Bible talk. So, so it says Jesus uh, entered with his own blood in the most holy place once for all. He, uh, that's the once for all again. So, he, he only had to do it one time because his blood is, was, will be, ever be efficacious. Very, very effective. Highly effective. No, there's no, no uh, detriment in that blood. There's no lack in that blood. So, he did it one time because that's all it took, and he did it for everybody uh, who has faith in him. Amen. 
Paul is really teaching us some important lessons that we are called to demonstrate. We're going to demonstrate that in our lives. We cannot talk out of, as it were, both sides of the mouth. We're, we're going to demonstrate that. How do I know we're going to demonstrate that? Because the Holy Spirit is showing us that we must demonstrate it. Let me say this loud and clear again, and you've heard it maybe a hundred times, but there are no solutions for the problems we have in the world, in the world system. Amen. There are no solutions. It doesn't matter where you stand. There are no solutions. The solution is in Christ, and you and I are in Christ, and Christ is in us. Therefore, we are carriers of the solution. So, let, let's believe that and let's know that. Let's know that because God said that. So, he tells us that, that Christ entered the most holy place once for all. Listen, what did he do? Having obtained. It was that past tense, right? Having obtained what? Eternal redemption. Say it with me. Eternal redemption. Eternal redemption. Say it one more time. Eternal redemption. So, he has purchased you eternally eternally. I know that that is tough because they are tough for some of us to believe and accept, but believe it. <laughs> accept it because Jesus does not have uh, an inefficiency in him. And so, when he saves somebody, he, this was all decided before the foundation of the world, before time. But you and I had all these promises in Christ before time began. So then, since we had them in Christ before time began, that means that nothing inside time and space can negate it. It's an impossibility. It's an impossibility. It cannot happen. Jesus cannot lose what he saves. So you have to understand that. I mean, shucks, if, if Jesus could lose you after he saves you, we might as well have just any old lifeguard in charge of salvation. But that's not accurate. So, so, what did he do? He purchased for us eternal salvation, eternal redemption, all right? Are we still good? Yes. And so, in, in Hebrews 10.10 tells us, uh, Hebrew ten, Hebrews 10.10 Hebrews, tells us, by that will, the will of God, we have been sanctified, that is, set apart through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. What? How? Once for all. Uh, are you getting ready to really enjoy that once for all talk? I mean, that's real good southern speak. If you're from the north, that's okay. We let you use it. Yeah. Once for all. Once for all. And let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Let's look at that again. And so, we're going to understand how God has delivered us. See, we have been delivered, and we are being delivered. We have been delivered. That is, I am saved I am saved. I received the Spirit of God. Uh, so, in spirit, I am totally saved. I believe that. I was talking to a, a great man of God, uh, uh, Dr. Mark. You know who I'm talking about. I won't give his last name. But uh, Dr. Mark, and we were talking about this last night for an hour and a half. We just talked about Romans, and, and we're just blessed. And, and we talked about God's ability to save. And God saves us. I, I teach eternally because we are God's inheritance. So, when he saves you, you are God's inheritance. Ephesians teach, uh, teaches us that we are God's inheritance. And so, what God does, he saves uh, uh, us. He saves uh, us for him, and, uh, and it is through him that we are saved. So, God has kept our inheritance for us. 
He's kept us, but he also kept us as his inheritance for himself. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay. So in Ephesians 2, uh, verses 5 and 6, he says, even when we were dead in trespasses. And so when he says, even when we were dead in trespasses, Paul is actually referring to something in the past. Even when we were dead in trespasses, we were dead in, in sins, totally dead. Dead to God, dead to righteousness. What did he do? Made us alive. <laughs> made us alive together with Christ. And then he says, by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, if somehow uh, I'm sitting in this, this is, this is our reality right now. Let's look at it again. Uh, what did God do? He uh, raised us up together with Christ, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so now uh, we have a very deep theological problem if now those of us who were raised together with Christ are now somehow severed from Christ and those who have been made to sit together in the heavenly places, that means that we were seated together in heavenly places in the heavens uh, themselves and then now we have to be removed from that because somehow we messed up. No, it wouldn't, be a, it wouldn't be our mess up. It's too holy to say. We are saying that it's somebody else's mess up, mess up and I'm not going to say it, but you, you can follow me. You can follow me there and then don't say it. But God didn't mess up. God hasn't messed up. He has power to save. He has power to keep. He delivers. His son was, was dead. His, Jesus died. Died, D-I-E-D, died. He was totally dead. On the third day, he got up. A man who had been dead in the grave, in the tomb, got up. Hole in his side, split in his side, blood all out. Got out of the grave. Come on. He can't keep you? Wow. Let me look at it again. Let's look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. Some of these things I've said before, but they bear saying again. So, what, where are you? Now, bear it with him in baptism, in which you, all, you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Wow, man. Oh, and it was righteous of God. God deemed it righteous to do such a thing because we believe. And you didn't believe on your own. You didn't believe by your own strength and your own ingenuity, your own brain power. There was nothing in you that made you believe except the grace of God came to you. And so that's why we can't even boast in the faith we have. All right, let's look at verse 12. So Paul concludes that since God has done all these amazing things for us, he says, therefore, or for this reason, do not you. Now you God gave you something to do. I remember one time I was, I was upset about something with God. I wasn't upset with God, but I was upset about something in my life. And he said to me, he said, he said, I want you to keep covenant here, and I want you to make sure that you work these things out. Um, he said, when you... When you cannot do what my covenant, your covenant with me, my covenant with you requires, your part, he said, I do it for you. And I do it until you're able to do it. I mean, what a blessing. 
and, 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 and so here, God, in this covenant, God gives us something to do. What he does, he saves us from sin, delivered us from the sphere of sin and its dominion, delivered us from it. He said, now, I want you to do something as a result of that. It's like somebody giving you a million dollars and saying, now, I want you to buy your car. And you go, well, I don't know if I can. <laughs> Man, you, you, you need some cachetadas. Cachetadas. They're waiting for you. Yeah, some slaps, that's what that means to, to, to all of our English-speaking brothers. <laughs> therefore, do not, therefore you, do not let sin reign, rule in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. So what the Lord is saying is that, that sin is going to always try to get you to do something you shouldn't do. And it'll tell you, do it, it's okay, God doesn't mind. But he says, this is therefore do not. It's like you do not. Let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. So don't let the devil do whatever he wants to do with your body. That's what he's saying. And verse 13, and do not, you do not. This is your part. Present your members as instruments or weapons of unrighteousness to sin. So he says, don't do that. So don't give the enemy advantage by, by presenting your bodies to him for unrighteousness. So he says, do not present your bodies. So what he's showing us here is that if the enemy uses you, you let him. You let him. He doesn't have power to just make you do. Why? Because you, you have... Jesus defeated him, and so you and I are, are dealing with a defeated foe, but we have a responsibility just not to let some things happen. All right? All right, let's, we can do better than that, not just Judah. So, he says in verse 13, and, and do not present, don't present your members as instruments or weapons of unrighteousness to sin. Don't do that. But, change direction. Present yourselves to God. Why? Because now we have been raised with Christ and, and the life that Christ now lives, he lives unto God. So, he's, he wants you and I to practice, as it were, living unto God. Can we do that? Come on, all over the place, can we do that? We're going to present our, our, our members. Let's look, see what he says. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members, your body, as instruments or weapons of righteousness to God. So he says, don't present them as, uh, un, um, as weapons of unrighteousness, but present your body as a weapon of righteousness to God. Wow. A, a weapon. Can you imagine that? God, God has weaponized the body for righteousness sake. Wow. 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 So, so in 2 Corinthians 6, 7, Paul writes, he, he writes, he's speaking of who we are and what we've done and what God has done. He says, by the word of truth, this is how we conquer things. By the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. So that's what we do. That's what God wants us to do and wants of us. In John 5, 24, let's look at it. John 5, 24. These scriptures here are, are support scriptures for Romans chapter 6 and those things that Paul is saying. We're saying that there are other witnesses also in the scripture. So whenever you think that, that 
you know, it's somebody else's fault. It's really not. It's yours if you don't render or give or surrender or present your your body, your members as a weapon of righteousness. So, John 5.24 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has what kind of life? Say it with conviction. Everlasting life. And shall not come into... No, that's so wimpy. And shall not come into what? Judgment. But has from to life. You have passed from death into life. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? You didn't just come to the, to the front of, de- of life, but you, you were passed from death into life. So I'm surrounded by the life of Jesus Christ. I have the life of Jesus in me. This is real. This is reality for us. Come on, let's walk in it. And don't, don't have that I hope it's so. You know, I remember one of my cousins, a crazy cousin. He would always spit on his forefinger, cross his heart, and say, I cross my heart and I hope to die. They would say that. Boy, that boy was bad. Now, look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, and you, so does he want. So, when he says you, what do you say? Me. Right? And you, he made alive made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. He made you alive, but not just alive biologically, but alive in spirit, alive to God. That's who we are. We're like children who don't know whose family we belong to. Yeah. So let's, let's recognize we belong to the family of God. We belong to God. It's not, it's not about religion. It's not about what denomination I'm a part of. Do I belong to Jesus? That's the question. Okay, uh, and let's look at 1 Corinthians 6.15. 6.15, this is another support scripture. It says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Man, that's big. Let, 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 let's, let's chew on that for just a second. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Right now. You're a member of Christ. Remember when, when Saul was persecuting the church and Jesus arrested him? I'm sure glad Jesus arrested him. You know, I would have been on the sideline cheering, but I would have probably said, get him, Lord. <laughs> but he arrested him and he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus was in heaven at the right hand of God the Father. What do you mean? He said, who are you? I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. So Paul got a revelation. He got a revelation that first day he met Jesus. You know, know, I've been persecuting Jesus and didn't know it. I thought I was just persecuting his followers. No, I was persecuting his body. So we have to understand we we are members of the body of Christ. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. In other words, it, it, and, or just, you know, going out there being promiscuous and, and thinking, well, I just couldn't help it. Well, you could help it. You just didn't help it. That's what it means. You could, but you didn't. And we're not going to beat you up because you didn't, you, you know. But, but we are going to say change, right? All right, change. Now, l- let's look at this other verse, verse 14. That's Romans 6, 14. 
Romans 6, 14, he says, now let me look at 13 again and just read it and then go right to 14. And do not present your members as instruments or weapons of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. Present yourself as somebody who is alive from the dead. You're in another realm, alive from the dead, and your members as instruments or weapons of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For sin shall not rule over you. I, I, you know, it just bothers me so deeply for preachers to get up and, and say stuff that's not scriptural like, uh, well, you just can't help but sin. I don't care what nobody says. You don't care what God says? I'm not saying that, that every one of us is going to live perfectly from this moment on. But he says, for sin shall not, this is the word of God, have dominion over you. Sin shall not rule over you. It shall not have rulership over you. It shall not dominate you. You know, you know, uh, let me just tell you, uh, give a little uh, sports analogy. If I'm, if I'm a young Don Lavelle and I'm, I'm playing with the mentality that our old Don Lavelle has, and you're going to come up to me, you're 6'10", you're going to just dunk over me all night, ain't going to happen. It just, I didn't say isn't going to happen, I said ain't going to happen. Yeah, I said it ain't going to happen, right? It's not going to happen. I'm telling you why it's not going to happen. I'm not going to let you. I'm going to do whatever I can to keep you. I'm not going to pay you dirty. But I'm not going to do I may have to hold your shorts or something. I'm going to do something. <laughs> but you're not just going to dunk on me. So here we are empowered by the Spirit of God. And we're the devil slam dunk on us. That makes no sense at all to me. I'm a child of God. You must be perpetrating but I can't be a child of God because the devil couldn't dunk on the one who saved me. He couldn't dunk on Jesus. Come on, Jesus willingly died, gave himself to the, into the hands of evil men, went into the grave, conquered the grave, undid the work of Satan. Come on. And then the devil's going to rule over me? Absolutely not. No. For sin shall not have dominion over you, shall not rule over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. Wow. Sin shall not be Lord over you. Sin shall not rule over you. Wow. It shall not have influence over you. Shall not have power over you. Let, let, let me, let's talk about law. He says, for you are not under law, but under grace. You're under grace. I'm going to take a total of five more minutes, okay? Amen. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 8, and 8 uh, through 11, I want you to just turn that, and I'll give you a minute to find 1 Timothy 1, uh, 8, 311. I, I, I wanted to, I thought I had already inserted this uh, scripture, but I had not. And so Paul is writing to Timothy, he says, because we, we, we don't quite understand the law. The, the law was given so that we would know how exceedingly bad we were. We, we didn't know because before the law, there was no transgression. So, so as I gave you the, the off-use illustration about if there was no stop sign and you ran, the, you went right past the stop sign, you didn't break the law. But if an, eight, you ran, if an 18 wheeler smashed you, you were still dead. You know, but when the law came and said, you, you, uh, uh, you're supposed to stop here. And, and any of you who rolled past that stop sign, you're a lawbreaker. 
It just showed you. When the law says 40 miles an hour, 45 miles an hour, and you drive 50, you're a lawbreaker. Why did you do that? You go to church. Why you do that? Okay. Somebody said to me, in defense, they said to me, oh, pastor, all have sped and fallen short of the glory. <laughs> Let's look at First Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. But we know, Paul, I love the way Paul does that. He'll ask questions that he already has the answer. And so you need to look for the answer before you answer. And then he always say, there's some things we are supposed to know. Why? Because we've been born again. Because we are under good teaching. We're under good preaching. We're under good praise and worship. We're under the Bible itself, the Holy Spirit. So, so we ought to know. He said, but we know that the law is good. So you know why the law is good? Because it exposes wrong. The law is good. If one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. See, you, we're, we're not under law. We're under grace, right? We're under grace. The law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. So that's what the law is for. It's for those things. But it's not made for, for us. And then let's, I'm going to read these and then... If perhaps they need to be elaborated on, I'll elaborate on them when I do chapter 7. How is that? Let me just read. Let's start in verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Like, I'm saved. I, I can do anything I want to. Well, if you're really saved, you don't want to do that crazy stuff. You hate doing it. You feel bad after you've done something crazy. Listen. Verse 16, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Now, if you take notes or mark your Bible, kind of circle of sin and then of obedience because those are the two that we want to deal with. You're slaves to whom you obey. So if you're obeying sin, you're a slave of sin. So if you're a slave of sin, you can't be a slave of God or of righteousness. Now, listen to what he says. But, uh, or of obedience, that is obedience to God, and all obedience to God leads to righteousness. All obedience to God leads to righteousness. Obedience to God never leads to destruction. Amen. Leads to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, though you were slaves of sin, yet you, what? Obeyed from the heart. Not from the head, from the heart. That form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Now, the Holy Spirit delivered you from sin, from do the domination of sin, but he delivered you into the gospel. 
He delivered, delivered you into the gospel, all right? So, so what Paul is saying is that you obeyed from the heart that form of teaching to which you were delivered. And this is why we keep it Christ-centered, because you can't make a mistake there, okay? Amen. Verse 18, having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You became slaves of righteousness. This is beautiful, isn't it? So that means that righteousness is now my boss. Right, righteousness is now, as it were, my, my master. Now you say, but I thought Jesus is. Yes, his name is Jesus Christ the righteous. Yeah, right? I mean, this is good stuff, man. You get, you, we're, gonna, we're living forever. This is really good. All right, so let's walk in this. First Peter 1, 2 says, First Peter 1, 2, let's go there. And we, we're going to, I've already taken that. First Peter 1, 2. Elect according to, you are, you are, you can say I am, elect. Uh, that means chosen of God, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you, and peace be multiplied. Now, let me hurry because I've already missed my number. Verse 19, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. That, that's that's a, a real promise. That's a certainty. And then he, he uh, stops in verse 23 with this infamous uh, scripture, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. I want you to think about what I've said, and I'm going to come back in a minute and make you an offer. <laughs>